word. Amen? So let me read this to you. Matthew 13, 44. Get ready to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read this and then I'll pray. Matthew 13, 44 says this. And it's up there in big, bold letters. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Let's pray. Father, we ask that the Spirit would speak to us. Again, in the Word there is life. And Lord, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so Lord, we want all of the Word. We don't want to pick and choose what we want to hear. We want to hear all of the Word all of the time. So Spirit of God, speak to us, challenge us, change us, grow us up, and let us be your people who change the world. And we all say this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, all of your life, you are on a treasure hunt, right? You are told from the beginning, make your life count. You can do something. Go somewhere. Have big dreams. And see, all of us, all of us in the back of our mind, we've been searching for that perfect person and that perfect place. Right? But you see, listen to this. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you already have that perfect person and you already are working towards that perfect place. You, if you understand what I'm saying, that perfect person is Jesus Christ. That perfect place is heaven. You see, many times we go up and say, I'm going to find that right person to be my best friend or my spouse and I'm going to find that perfect house or that perfect farm or that perfect shack, whatever you want to live in, the perfect box, the perfect boat. And, and so we, we've been lied to by the world that happiness comes by finding the perfect person and the perfect house. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is no such thing as a perfect person and a perfect place. Have you seen that? I mean, you can ask my wife. I am not perfect. Ask my kids. I'm not perfect. Our house is not perfect, but we are blessed because of our relationship with each other and God gives us a place to live. But that's not what I'm on this earth for. I'm on this earth to find the biggest treasure, and His name is Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to help you see what God is wanting to talk about. You see, because people in the world are looking for happiness in everything else but Jesus. And sometimes as believers, we fall into that lie, don't we? If we had this, we had that. If we had that, if we, we were there. We were with this people. We worked with this job. We lived in this area. Life would just be better. But the problem is we're looking for treasures on earth which are not going to last, right? So imagine this, okay? Imagine us finding true joy by looking at this one-sentence parable that Jesus talked about in Matthew 13. One-sentence parable. Imagine this. A first-century Jew is walking along. It's a hot afternoon. He's got a staff in his hand. I didn't bring my staff up. You know, I didn't want to hit anyone in an accident. I do have a staff in my office. Uh, and so he, he's walking along and he's traveling and he's trying to get to his next business place. He's trying to sell some, some cattle or something. And so he's in a hurry and he cuts across an empty field. And, and the owners of the land would, would be fine with that because it's just an empty field. So he's walking. The land's a little, the, the ground's uneven. And he begins to stumble. And he puts his staff into the dirt and he hears a thunk. Let me try again. Thunk. And he, so he stops for a second and he, and he hits around and he hears thunk, 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 thunk again. So then he puts his staff down puts his bag down, and he begins to dig. And he digs, and he finds this gold-ornated chest. And he pulls the chest out of the ground, he opens it up, and wow, there's gold coins, there's gems, there's jewelry. He is overjoyed. He's looking around. No one's there. He puts it all back in the chest. He buries it. He marks it. Immediately, he says, he, he gets on his, blue, his, blue, his Bluetooth phone. I'm not going to be there to sell cattle. He didn't do that because he didn't have that. I'm just teasing you. Immediately, he turns around. He begins to head home. And he says, I'm going to buy this field. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell my farm. I'm going to sell my cattle, my goats, my sheep. I'm going to sell my tools. I'm going to sell everything that I can to get this land. 
He runs off. He sells everything. He comes back and he buys the land. What a great joy that he had. He was excited, right? How does that fit to us, Pastor Stan? Who cares? You see, we're bought into this lie that if we buy things from the world, our life will be happy. And Jesus is our true treasure, amen? And so in that, we have this thing about treasures, don't we? Jesus talked about treasures a lot in the Bible, right? And so, so let me talk about this. Go now to Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. As you're turning there, I'm going to get a drink of water, if that's okay with you. And if you don't like it, sorry. Matthew 6, 19. Here's what he says. Jesus says this. He was talking about treasure in a field. Now he's talking about true treasure. Okay, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's talk about this for a few minutes. Somebody, oh great, I knew this message was about money. Let's hit it. Let's, since you mentioned it, buried treasure, the money connection. Okay? Here, this is very important. This, this parable of hidden treasure is one of the many references that Jesus illustrates about money and possessions in our hearts. In fact, about 15% of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament talks about money and possessions. More than, listen to this, more than heaven and hell combined. Why is that? Why did Jesus talk about our possessions more than heaven and hell? Because there is a connection between your spiritual life and finances. Come on. We get tied into our finances and our possessions sometimes to the point that we forget about God. We forget that He's our provider. Amen? You see, we try to divorce our faith and our finances when God says, no, they're inseparable. They're all part of life. And you need finances. You need to have a job. You need to pay bills, right? In fact, look at this. John the Baptist in, in Luke 3. I'm, I'm gonna, I have it up here. You can write it down. Luke, John chapter 3. People came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And they're, they're, they're looking to John the Baptist to say, what can we do to be renewed? Listen how John the Baptist responds to them. Verse 11. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. The man who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more money than, uh, any more than you are required to do, he told them. Verse 14, then some soldiers asked, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You see, these people came to find Jesus, but what did he say to them? He was speaking to their God. He was speaking to what was controlling lives. He said to the share, share with the poor. Tax collectors, don't collect extra money. All of us would appreciate that, right? Soldiers, be content with your wages. Don't extort people. You see, each answer related to money and possessions. You think, why is that? Because sometimes we get out of skew with money, don't we? This world tells us that if we have more money, we have more possessions, we are important. God says those are important things, but your soul is more important. Amen? And these things should not be your God. It's awesome. God can bless you. But let me, let me go on. Money and possessions have a spiritual value. Luke 19, 8 through 9. I'm going to read just part of this. Zacchaeus. He says, uh, he, he, he gives his life to the Lord. He was a tax collector. Uh, and God bless you if you work for the IRS. We're praying for you, amen? Okay? Um, and so he says, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. And all those who have cheated, I'm going to pay back four times. What did Jesus say to him? He says, Jesus says this in verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. 
Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Okay, the second thing, Acts 2. We talked about this before, I'm sorry, 32 through 35. It says that the believers came together. They shared. Some people bought and they sold their property and brought the money to the church so they could take care of their family. Isn't that awesome? Come on. The next one then, this is, a very, this is one that really sticks out in Mark chapter 12. Jesus, uh, Jesus and his disciples, check this out. They were in, you think it's sometimes uncomfortable during offering time. Can you imagine if during offering time, Jesus was standing by the plate as you were giving? Jesus was standing in the temple. They were watching people give. And he brings his disciples on and says, watch this. And so the people come in and, and, and here he is. You know this. Let me read this to you so you, I can get it all. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow had put, uh, put, in, uh, put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. This lady, money was nothing to her. God was more important than money. So the people were giving out of the wealth. She gave out of her poverty. Now, in stark contrast to this, Luke chapter 12, 18 through 21 talks about this guy. He says, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to, take it. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. In Luke 12, then verse 20, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Wow, God said that? It's really quiet in here, isn't it? Hey, the Word of God is good, amen? All the time. Matthew 19. It talks about this rich man. It says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, you've got to sell everything and give it to the poor. And then verse 22 says, When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard, it's not impossible, it's hard for rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus knew that money and possessions are mankind's God. Why is it in the Bible? Because we struggle with it. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. Amen? God wants you to be free. He wants it to flow. He wants you to be blessed. He wants to dethrone the God of money from your life, and He wants to be first in your life. He wants Him to be first and not your possessions. Amen? Letter B. I didn't say this, but letter B, it says here, smart or stupid. Okay? So the rich ruler was not willing to take a temporary sacrifice for greater treasure. You see, the traveler, the traveler we talked about in the beginning in Mark 13, he was willing to take a short-term sacrifice. He sold everything. And then he got something of greater value. And you see, God's wanting us to stop thinking here and now and start thinking ahead. Future. Eternity. Amen? Tomorrow, not now. You see, we think, oh, that poor traveler, he had to suffer. I mean, I'm sure his wife didn't appreciate they selling the house and, and selling the kids' soccer shoes and, and, and the donkeys and all that. And he didn't do it begrudgingly. Do you hear what the Scriptures He went with joy. He said, I'm going to sell all this so I can get something greater. He was willing to sacrifice for a greater cause, and he was excited about it. He was exchanging. You see, Jesus is trying to teach us about earthly treasures. Has anyone had a car die? You ever had a car just wear out? Shoes. My goodness. I mean, I thought it was bad because I have girls in the house and they like shoes. But it's when their feet like grow. We buy shoes for one sports season and the next sports season, they're already outgrowing them, right? Right? And then clothes. My goodness, right? 
And then things in your house, things just wear out, don't they? This earth is a temporary place. It's not going to last forever. So don't put your heart in stuff that's not going to last forever. Amen? And Jesus was trying to tell us, hey, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but in heaven. Amen? You see, heavenly fortune is greater than earthly fortune. Well, pastor, that's easy for you to say. I've got a nice savings account. I've got a nice retirement. That's awesome. God bless you for that. There's nothing wrong with that. But one day that's not going to be around because this earth is going to change. God is going to come. Amen? So let so me think about this. We're talking about, imagine now, I love uh, history, and just recently they had some uh, reenactments up in Gettysburg, uh, the 150-year uh, year anniversary of, of the Battle of Gettysburg. So in our country, in the United States of America, we had a civil war in the 1800s. Now imagine if you're a northerner, a union person, living down south, okay? Nothing wrong with you southerners, okay? God bless you. I'm, I was born in the south. I don't have a southern accent, but I was born down south in North Carolina. Some of you are laughing. I've been told, don't be crazy today, Jerry. So imagine being a northerner, a Yankee, living down south. And you, you have through business and, and smart investing and, and, and good just customer relations, you've built up a large sum of confederacy currency. But for a fact, you know that the war is about to end and you know that the, con- the, the confederate currency is about to go away. What would you do? If you were wise, you would cash in almost all of your confederate, confederate currency for union conser- con- right? money, cash, right? You'd leave just enough for you to live there because you know at the end of the war you're going to return back to Boston. Right? You're going to get some chowder, right? Because you're going to go back to Boston, right? Because you're a Yankee, right? Now, would that be wise? Would you, you would be a fool, right, if you held on all that Confederate cash until the end of the war. It's a no-brainer, correct? Here's where the shoe drops. You see, as, as believers, we have inside knowledge that this current worldwide economy is going to crash. When Jesus returns, all the money in this world is going to mean nothing. All your investments, all your retirements. Well, Pastor, I don't got that. I got a shotgun and I got gold. That's all going to mean nothing when Jesus comes back. We're going to be on a new currency. So if you begin to think, now, Pastor, I'm not a northerner. I'm from the south. Well, okay, think about this that our our kingdom in heaven is going to last forever. And Jesus was saying, don't store up yourself stuff here because it's not going to last. Start sending it ahead. Right? Start putting it ahead so that when the kingdom of heaven does come, you didn't waste all your resources on earthly stuff, which is going to be gone tomorrow. But you've invested in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Are you catching this? So let's talk about this. This is really basically a treasure mentality. Let us see a treasure mentality. Jesus says in Matthew 6.20, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus is not against storing up treasure. He's all for it. Did you know that? It's wise for you to try to set, set money aside for emergency fund, for school, for retirement. That's, that's a good thing to do. And there's nothing wrong with going on vacation. There's nothing wrong with going out to movies. There's nothing wrong with going out to eat. There's nothing wrong with buying nice stuff. But just don't be tied into all this stuff. Amen? He wants us to view things from a long view, not a here and now. You see, the world's telling us here and now. You need it all now. You've got to have it now, right? It's a lot easier to get stuff now than when my parents were buying stuff. Not that there's anything totally wrong, but we're, we're into this here and now. And God is saying, hey, 
Invest in treasures in heaven. And, and I just have, just real quick, when we invest in heaven, we're going to get a, a huge return. In fact, in Matthew, I don't have, I think, I don't know if I have it, but Matthew 19, write this down if I don't have it, Matthew 19, 29, I don't think I have it. Matthew 19, 29, it says that right sacrifices on earth will be rewarded 100 times in heaven. 100 times it will be rewarded in heaven. So every time you give to the building fund, to missions, when you give tithes and offerings, when you invest in, a, in a, another ministry, you are investing and you're going to get a hundredfold return. This is not a pyramid scheme. This is not a Ponzi scheme. This is a heavenly bless you scheme. Isn't that awesome? We get so tied up in our possessions. God says, I want to bless you. And of course, the ultimate treasure is Jesus. Philippians 3. I'm not going to read all seven. Paul says this, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, what, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I, might get, that I might be gained Christ. You see, Paul said, I don't care about the world. It's all rubbish. Christ is the most important thing. Amen? This is good preaching. Amen? All right, thank you. In fact, then, Psalm 49. Check out what Psalm 49 says. Psalm 49, 16 through 17. The psalmist says this, Do not be overawed when a man grows rich. When the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. You see that? When we die, guess what? We take nothing with us on this earth. In fact, if you don't understand, John D. Rockefeller, he's from Pennsylvania. He was one of the richest men during his time. And he made other people very rich around him. And after he died, a person asked his accountant. This, he asked the accountant of John D. Rockefeller. He said, how much did John D. leave? This reply was classic. He left all of it. Think about that for a second. John D. Rockefeller, when he died, he left everything. You know, I've talked about this. You know, the statistics say that when you pass on and you give your, you give your inheritance to your family, you know how, much, how long it lasts? Nine months. All that you've spent 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years working on, your family spends it nine months. Like, That's it. They're out the will. That's it. No, don't do that, but don't tie into it as much. Amen? Because you can't take it with you. So let's talk about the, the treasure principle. Letter D, the treasure principle. Jesus takes the profound truth. He says you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. It's simple. This world and all its treasures will pass away, but everything you put into God's hands is going to last forever. Everything you put into God's hands is going to last forever. Every investment, when you invest in kids going to go to camp, when you send money to missions, when you help us our building, when you tithe, this all God is keeping an account in heaven. Yep, writing it down, writing it down. That's great. A dollar here. That's how much is a, how much is a hundred percent from a dollar? How much? Hundred hundred percent return of a dollar. Hundred percent. One hundred times one equals one hundred. Okay, so every dollar you mark down for God. God is marking it down. Hey, man, that's 100% return when they get to heaven. Heavenly wealth, okay? So Jesus says, hey, take the eternal view. Plan ahead, amen? Some of you are financial planners. When you work with a client or if you have a financial planner, you're, you're a financial planner. She's going to tell you, don't think three months ahead, but think how long ahead. 
5, 10, 20, 30 years. Think ahead. God is saying to us, think ahead. Don't just think about this earth. Think about heaven. Amen? Everything that we invest in God's kingdom, everything that we share, everything we give away, will multiply our heavenly investment. And you might as well start now because you can't take it with you. You see, this confederate world is going to fail one day. And God is going to bring His new kingdom. So let's gain great joy by saying, this world is not my home. Amen? I'm just passing through it. So let me talk about compounding joy. Some of you financially, you love compounding, don't you? You invest. How many like when you invest, you want compounding investments, right? You don't want decreasing, you want compounding, right? So spiritually, um, there's a pastor, his name is Pastor Randy Alcorn. And he wrote, he's written many, many books about uh, giving and finances and, and other books about heaven. And um, he got involved in, in uh, peaceful demonstrations against abortion clinics back, back in the 80s and 90s. And so he, had, he, he was doing peaceful things, demonstrating against these abortion clinics. And so then he got slapped with two lawsuits. He was a pastor of a church. And at the time he had written many books and, and had made a lot of money. And, and he saw the, the writing on the wall. And so, in fact, he, so he divested all the books and gave them to other people and said, use these for God's kingdom. He was receiving lots of money from that. And, and, then, and then the government said to him, we're going to garnish your wages because I'm not going to pay money to abort people's lives. They said, we're going to take it from your church. He resigned from his church. He got, a, he got a, a job where he was making minimum wage. Back then, I think it was like three thirty-five an hour. His wife was working a job. They divested everything. They lost everything because they had a kingdom mentality. We're not going to let this world tell us how to live our lives. But in that, they were about to lose their house. They lost everything. And God showed him, I own everything. And since then, God has blessed him a lot because he let go of all those things that were important to him. Pastoring a church, money coming in from books, the house, everything. He let go of it and said, this world is not my home. And God has blessed him. So let me, let's talk about this. Compounding joy, letter A. God owns everything. Say it. You see, God used these judgments to take Randy's understanding of ownership to a whole new level. Listen to these scriptures, okay? Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So who, who does God own? Everything and everyone, right? Haggai 2.8. The silver and gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. What? Yes, that gold you have buried in your backyard. That gold bullion you buy, and that silver ring, it all belongs to God. Deuteronomy 8.18, listen to this, Deuteronomy 8.18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. So He gives you the ability to think and to create and to have a job. That's God, amen? He loves us, amen? Then 1 Corinthians 6.19, because we all say, it's my body, I can do what I want. no. If you're a believer, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Your body belongs to God. Amen? God is the owner of everything. Isn't that exciting? That should actually free you. If He owns everything, you don't have to worry about everything. Amen? So the next part of this is then, letter B, I'm God's money manager. I'm God's money manager. I, I just take care of what he gives me and I just put it where he wants. Amen? Yes, you can pay your bills. Yes, you can go out to eat. Yes, you can set money aside. Yes, you can go on vacation. Those are nice things, but you should also set some aside for the kingdom. 
for the future, where you go to church. Amen? God is the owner. We are only the manager. Say, I am only the manager. Some of you, I saw you tight-lipped. Doesn't matter, you believe it or not, you're only the manager. Okay? And the sooner we get this concept, I'm telling you, the less stress you're going to have. God, the car broke down. What are you going to do to fix it? God, rent is due. What are you going to do to provide for it? God, I got a medical bill. How are you going to pay, pay for this? Amen? I still struggle with this at times. Oh, I got I to, gotta, I gotta. no, I don't have to do anything. I just have to let God flow out. And be a good steward of it. Amen? You see, the steward only manages the assets for the owner. Some of you are investment financial planners. You have an investment planner. That person does what you want with your money, right? And you see, it's the same thing. We've got to find out from God what He wants us to do with His assets. Everything you have belongs to God. So let me talk about the next one. And I want to talk about this. And I want to, I want to, talk, and I want to help you out in a couple areas. And I'm almost done. Let us see giving from an extreme poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-9. Because I know, I know, I've said this in my life, I said, I don't have anything. I can't give because I just don't have much. And God had to challenge me on this area. And God wants to challenge some of you in this room. I'm not going to read all of this, but I'm going to read part of this. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. And now, my brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up and reached rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently, check that out, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Verse 5, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So it's basically these people, in, in fact, Macedonia, the Macedonian area is still an impoverished area. And, and here's what's happening is, the Macedonian believers were living in poverty and, and, and the church in Jerusalem was saying there's a need for the believers here. The Macedonian church in their poverty said, we're going to give. And they begged with them, can, can we give? Can we please let us give? No, you guys are poor. No, we want to give. How do severe trial, overflowing joy, and extreme poverty and rich generosity all fit together? How does that fit together? You see, giving isn't a luxury of the rich. It's a privilege of the poor. And the Macedonians refused, listen, they refused to let the hard circumstances to keep them from giving. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you because, you know what, I'm a softie in this area. And I've been praying, and God's been telling me for the year, you need to challenge my people on giving. Like, God, you do that. God, you stir the hearts. He said, no, you're the preacher. You do it. So I'm obeying him. And I'm challenging you, well, I can't afford. All you need to do is start giving a tenth of what you get. He's not asking for all, he's asking for a tenth. And so here the, 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 the people in Macedonia, they were begging, can we give? What a contrast to us today. We, we find for ways not to give. Well, I'm busy. Kids got this, I got this bill, and I got this. And God's saying, these people had nothing and they gave. You can give, amen? Give of your time, your talent, your treasures to the kingdom. In fact, um, I don't have time to go to this, but Exodus 36, 5 through 7, they were, they were building the tabernacle, and Moses said, let's receive an offering. And it says that they gave so much that Moses had to say to them, stop giving, stop, we have t- too much. 
David did the same thing. Can you imagine if the pastor had to say, stop giving to the Heart for the House campaign. Stop giving to Mrs. We've already given $10 million. That's enough this year. Seriously. Well, seriously. God can do it. Amen? If God can take a little fisherman's lunch, a little boy's lunch and bread and multiply it and feed thousands of people, He can take what little we give Him and He can multiply it to change the world. Amen? You see, our giving should be a reflexive response to the grace of God. These people had the grace of God in lives. These Macedonian believers, He prompted, they gave. He should prompt us, we should give. Amen? Let me talk about just for a minute. I'm almost done now. Is the fringe benefits of giving. Did you know there are benefits from giving? In fact, someone said to me, Pastor, are we gonna, when are you going to start talking about receiving from God by giving? Some of you think, you guys, you're crazy, Pastor. Did you know there are people that come to me and say, Pastor, can you teach more about giving? There are people that come to me, Pastor, when are we going to receive more offerings? Some of you are like, crazy, what? What? Yes. Pastor, when are we going to start a building fund? When are you going to give us opportunity to give? By the way, you can give anytime you want to give. Okay? But we will give opportunities as the Lord leads us. But so, so here's some friends' benefits of giving. I recently read in a book that Mark, he was an attorney from Kentucky. He, he, was, he gives half of his income away yearly. Here's his words. He said this. He said, my pursuit of money drove me away from God. But since I've been giving it to him, everything's changed. In fact, giving has brought me closer to God than anything else. The first thing is a friend's benefit of, of giving. It's an act of worship. When you can come before God with open hands, you can receive but when you come to God with closed fists, guess what? When someone comes to you with fists, what do you think? So when we come to God, come on, God, let's worship. He's like, you're not ready to worship. I mean, what if you come to work and your boss is like, dude, call the police, right? And we come to worship, we're like, open the eyes, uh, open my hands, uh, open the, oh, Lord. Seriously, when you're tight because you're worried about this, you're not worshiping. And when you begin to say, you know what, God, you own everything anyway, so I'm going to worship. Your hands are open. You can receive. Amen? Giving, another benefit, it jumpstarts your relationship with God. If you look through the Bible, God is a giver. Amen? Now listen to this, okay? Listen to this, Numbers 18, 24. We don't just give to the church. We don't just give to missions. We don't give just to the pastor. We don't give to the project. We give to God. Numbers 18, 24. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I, I, I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. Notice that they gave to the Lord, not to the Levites. A lot of times people have this misconception. When you come to church, you're giving to the pastor directly. The money doesn't go right into my checking account. In fact, it's separate. I have a separate bank than the church. Because I take high standards. Because I'm going to stand before God one day, and I don't want to go to hell because I was greedy for money. And you see, sometimes we think, well, I give to the church. The pa- it's, it must be nice if the pastor has a Volvo and a Hyundai. Wish I could have that stuff. Start giving. I have that because we try to be good stewards what God gives us. We've bought older cars so we can live on what God gives us. Amen? 
So when you give, though, you're not giving to me, you're giving to God. And it was God who designated, hey, give some money to the Levites, give some money to the priests, amen? Christians, yes, in fact, I'm going to throw these scriptures at you because some people wonder. Christians should love, and we do, we feel love and support at this church. Christians should love and support their churches and pastors, but their giving is to God first. Amen? Galatians 6.6, 6, those who, who, uh, who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. 1 Timothy 5, 17-18, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. That's what scripture says. Especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you should not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Here's the important part, though. Leviticus 27:30, A tithe of everything from the land, from the grain, from the soil, or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Let me speak to you as a pastor, okay? I didn't read those scriptures because I want a pay raise. I read those scriptures because they're in the Bible, and I don't read them very often. In fact, the last time I did a message like this was probably over a year and a half ago, maybe even two years ago. The Bible is the Bible all the time. We need the Bible all the time. Amen? I'll be off this series quickly. Don't worry about it, but you need to get into it. But let me say this, okay? It is not your business to withhold the Lord's tithe. It is not your money to withhold. Well, I don't like the pastor, so I'm not going to give. You are talking about God's money. You might think you're funny. I'm just being honest with you, because I've heard this as a pastor in 20 some odd years. Well, we're not going to tithe because we don't like the pastor. We don't like the associate pastor. We don't like where the church is going. That's not your option. Where you go to church, where, and if this is your local church, this is it. If you go to another church, God bless you. You need to tithe at that local church. You need to tithe at this local church. Wherever there your home church is, you need to tithe. Where you're living and going to church, that's your home church. And it's none of your business to take God's money. Well, I don't like that church. I don't like that they talk about missions. I don't like that they're going to fix the building. That's not up to you. You give and let God decide what he wants to do with his money. Amen? Well, the church has a positive budget. They don't need my money. That is not for you to do. Shame on you if you think like that. Well, Pastor Stan, since you've been here almost every year, you've finished in a positive budget, so we don't need more money. You know what? It's because we are tight. We are good stewards. We cut back. I do all that I can every year that as a church we finish positive because I want to be a good steward of God's money. And some of you are holding us back by not tithing because you see every year that we, whether it's a $10, $1,000, $20,000, you see that we finish in the black every year, almost except for when the economy crashed at one year. Okay? No, I'm going to withhold. You can't, when you withhold, there's projects we can't do. There are needs that we cannot address. And so then the pastor has to say, would you do heart for the house? I'm just being honest with you. If you're not part of this church, I'm talking shop for the family, okay? And wherever you go to church, I'm sure they talk the same thing. Every church talks about this. It is tied to our hearts. It's tied to our souls. Amen? A benefit of giving is true joy. And when you withhold money, you, you keep joy from being in your life. Amen? And then we need to look at the poor. Proverbs 21.13, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. It is our job to take care of poor people around us. I know it's hard. You have to pray. Let me tell you, I mean, I see these people all the time on the side of the street asking for money. And, and to be honest with you, my flesh says they're not. They, 
they're not looking like they've missed a few meals. They're on their cell phone. They got better shoes than I have. They got a nicer jacket than I do. I generally don't give them because I pray. I say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want to do? And I don't give cash because I'm a police chaplain and the police, they yell at me if I ever do this. They say, chaplain, never give money to people on the street. 99% of the time, they're not using it for food. They're using it for drugs and other appeasements. You're not helping them. Do what the Lord leads. If he says give them cash, do it. He says give them water. In fact, I, I think Paulette says she keeps, a, she keeps a case of water in her car so that when, when she sees them, she gives them some water. There are truly people that are poor around us. That's why we talk about if we're in community, then we know who really is in need. Amen? So take care of poor people as the Lord leads you. Give to feeding ministries. There's some great ones out there. But another blessing, another benefit from giving is freedom. Basic, and I'm almost done. Basic physics. Let me see. You keep saying that. I'm getting there. The greater the mass, the greater the hold the mass exerts. The more things we own, the greater their total mass, the more they grip us. And the harder it is for us to let go. I told you the story. I'm going to tell you it again. My, my grandmother from my mom's side in Korea, I never met her because she, had, she was held by the gravity of their house. When the communists came, Korea was all one nation. This was back in the 50s. Remember I told you, some of you, this might be a new story. My mom was from Pyongyang, Korea, which was at the time was one Korea. The communists took over. And so they, her, they, her and her family began to leave their village. They abandoned her family was doing very good financially. Her dad was the mayor. They live in a nice house. Okay? And, and so, so they were beginning to leave, and, and, and they were heading down this, to the south part of Korea, and, and, and my mom's mom said, I can't leave the house. That gravity pulled her back, and they never saw her again. I never met my Korean grandmother because things had a hold of her heart. I want to challenge you. The more stuff that you have, the more you worry. Come on, right? The more stress you have. Some of you, you say, this is God's anyway. Why am I worried about it? Nothing wrong with having stuff. You just say, this is God's anyway. Right? And when you do that, you, you, you shoot yourself from that gravity into a heavenly gravity. And then you have heavenly treasures. That stuff doesn't own you when you say, you know what, this doesn't own me. This is God's stuff. Amen? So one of the things is, is you have freedom. Another thing, listen, giving breaks greed. Giving infuses life and joy. When you give, I don't know about you, I love giving stuff when I can, when the Lord leads us to. I love it when missionaries come and we, we give to missions. I, I love it, I do. I, don't, I love it when we can take stuff to Salvation Army and Goodwill. It's freeing. It says to me, this stuff doesn't own me. I mean, recently I had, to per, I had like five winter coats. You know, when you live in Colorado, Utah, you kind of need some coats. When you live in Maryland, you don't hardly even need a coat, right? Somebody's like, what? I'm like half Korean and I'm half Viking, okay? Half Swedish. I, I'm cold weather. It doesn't bother me as much. And so I had, to, I had all these coats. I had to purge them. And God said, why do you have so many coats? You really see, I have two. I have a dress coat and I have a snow coat now, okay? So I purged all these five coats and I gave them away. Because I didn't need them. But I was like, this is awesome. What else can I give away, Lord? I was free. You see what I'm saying? Would you stand with me this morning? Giving infuses joy in life. It interjects eternal dimension into our earthly lives. And God is a giver, and He wants you to be a giver too. Amen? 
And so here's my question. I'm not going to have you come to the front. I'm not going to plead for you to do something, but I am going to challenge you because God has told me that I have to challenge you. Whether you're a part of this church, you're passing through, you go to another church, you're just on vacation, you're here, whatever. Wherever you go to church, you need to tithe. That is your first part. You need to tithe to that church. Whether it's this church or another church, you have to tithe. Because that tithe, that 10% belongs to the Lord. And so the question is, have you found that everlasting treasure that brings real joy? Do the things of this earth hold more control on you than the things of heaven? You see, listen, God wants to bless you. And the only way He can bless you is if you let go of it. And say, God, this stuff doesn't own me. This is your stuff. You own me, God. Amen? Father, help me to, to finish this up here. You're challenging us to be givers like you. Jesus gave his life so we could have life. God, you're a giver. It, it talks about, in the New Testament, oh, almost 3,000 times about money and giving and possessions. So, Lord, help us not to be held by the world. Maybe some of us are stuck in the gravity of things. Help us to be free of that gravity. Maybe some of us in this room, we are struggling to let go of the wallet or the purse or the checkbook or the, or the investments or whatever we have. Lord, you give us all those things. It all belongs to you. Help us to be good managers of it. And then for some of us in this room, God, that are struggling with tithing, help us to do it. Either just start cold turkey and start writing our check for 10% whenever we get a paycheck. And Lord, I would even be nice to say let people help. Lord, help them to even start with 5%. Go to 8% and go to 10% in time and see how 